Good morning. I was reminded of the fact that one day our faith really is going to give way to sight. And that's an encouraging thing to think through. Uh, can somebody throw up a hand? Everybody throw up a hand or someone throw up a hand if you don't have your sheet this morning. Uh, lots of people. Okay. So as those are going out, uh, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to 3rd John. Last week, Hunter gave some really uh, good instruction about how to find 3rd John. It comes directly after 1 and 2. So, 3rd John is where we're turning this morning. Uh, I'm not going to stand up here and, and uh, reinvent the wheel this morning. This church, faithfully, uh, as long as I have attended here, as long as it's been uh, a church, has faithfully gone through, line by line, through the scriptures, and expose what's there. And I am not going to do anything other than that this morning. We're going to walk through the scriptures. This is called expositional preaching. We want to expose God's word. We want God's word to tell us what it's saying. So we want to bring out what's here. And I'm not going to change that this morning. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go line by line. And on your handout, there's a question at the very top that says, what does God desire for me to know about this passage? Embrace in faith in this passage and do from this passage. Now, this is a very helpful uh, grid that I use uh, use for this passage to study this passage to read the Bible. It's been extremely helpful for me. I commend it to you. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to do that. We're going to look at it three ways this morning. We're going to see what this passage is about. What's God trying to get us to know? We're going to see uh, what God wants us to believe. What He wants us to embrace in faith. And then also, uh, what he wants us to do from these things that we see here. So, first thing we want to do, let's read 3 John. We're going to be in 3 John, we're going to read verse 1 through 8. So, read this with me. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Can I pray for us? <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I praise you this morning that we can come to you full of faith. And Lord, we ask you this morning for help. We ask that you would give us the grace of wisdom in your word, that you would help us to see uh, what you would have for us here, Lord. Now, we don't have uh, a hope or a prayer uh, walking away from this, stirred by you, unless you do a work, God. So, God, I ask that you would do this now. That you would come, that you would meet with us in this text. And that you would help us to be faithful doers of what we see here today, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so. Number one, what does God want me, what does God want us to know about this passage? Uh, just some simple introductory observations. 
Uh, it's believed, just like 2 John and 1 John, that John, uh, the Apostle John, is the writer of this letter. And the recipient we see in verse 1 is a man named Gaius. Uh, I have been going back and forth with a few people as to whether or not his name is pronounced Gaius or Gaius. And even in the same conversation, I flip-flop back and forth. I need grace from you this morning on that. I'm going to do it every time. So we see that Gaius or Gaius is the recipient. And we don't know uh, necessarily who Gaius is. Uh, This is a very common name in this culture, like uh, John or Sam. Gaius is common in this culture. So in verse 1, we see John writing to Gaius, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Right off the bat, we see one thing very clearly about John, that John really loves this brother, Gaius. Gaius is greeted with the warmest of greetings in the beginning of this letter. And not only here, but all the way through the first eight verses of this letter, we see John's love for Gaius come through. He refers to Gaius three times as beloved. This is a term of endearment. Uh, he He greatly rejoices over the things that Gaius is doing. And he talks of his love for Gaius in the truth. So, clearly... The first simple point that we can make is that Gaius, uh, John loves Gaius and he loves him dearly. And the love that John has for Gaius is not without roots. Take a look at the phrase here. The phrase that John uses is, I love you, Gaius, in truth. So the love that John has for Gaius has roots. It's rooted in truth. And we heard this last week. Love is a distinguishing mark of walking in truth. The fruit of love comes from a Christian having deep roots in the truth. Now, walking in truth and loving in truth, this implies at least two things. One, it implies that you know the truth. And two, that the truth is conforming the way that you live your life. It implies at least those two things. So, since this is the case, that... Uh, Love uh, implies two things, that you know the truth and that the truth is shaping your life. It's appropriate to be very clear this morning about what the truth is that John here is talking about. He loves guys in the truth. What does John mean by that? And very simply, to love in truth means that we, that John, to guys, us, we have come to know and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning... We believe that we are who God says we are and that Jesus is who he says he is as told to us in the scriptures. God is the holy, righteous, and just judge of all the universe. He is the king and creator and judge of everything. Every human being, as taught in the Bible, has turned away from God. And they have turned to go their own way. We, as human beings, have rebelled against God by casting his rules over our shoulder. And we wanted to go our own way. Make gods out of ourselves. The Bible calls that action, turning away from God, the fountain of living waters, the Bible calls that evil or sin. And it's very clear in Scripture that sin is rebellion against the King of Glory. And everyone who has ever had a pulse and stepped foot on this planet is guilty of it. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, every human being stands guilty of breaking God's law. And the punishment for a guilty verdict before God is wrath forever. God's wrath intentionally poured out because of sin. But God being the gracious God that He is, loving and merciful God that He is, God made a way 
for rebellious, evil sinners to have their sins removed so that they might enjoy God forever. God sent Jesus, His Son, into the world, and Jesus lived a perfect life, and He died the death that we were supposed to die, and He bore the wrath for sin that we were supposed to bear. And then Jesus arose from the dead after three days, and He proved that all those things that He said about Himself and all those things that He said about who we are were true. His death was a powerful, universal declaration that He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And it's in Christ, in Jesus, the resurrected work of Christ, that God offers forgiveness of sins and peace with God. The Bible makes it very clear. Everyone who turns from, to, from sin and embraces the Savior will be given eternal life. And then, once that happens, someone turns from sin to the Savior, embraces Christ in faith, they will be given eternal life. And God does something in that moment. God makes a distinction between all those who uh, embrace and those who do not embrace the gospel. Those are distinct groups in God's eyes. Those who embrace the gospel, God begins a work of knitting their lives together in love because of the common bond of the gospel. And that's what truth is that John is referring to here. So to say all that shortly, to love in truth, means that we, as sinners who have repented and embraced the Son, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ because they're in the same mold of the gospel and in being molded by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same one that we are. To love in truth means that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ because of the mutual fellowship that we share in the new covenant. That is what it means. That's what John means when he says, guys, I love you in the truth. Now, it is true that John dearly, truly loves guys. But what John has in view here is not just a true love. It's, a, it's not a I love you truly, but I love you in the truth. And it's a pivotal for us to see right off the bat here. So not only even the, at the outset here do we get at least a little taste of the nature of loving in truth here. But we also see that loving in truth, we see what this looks like in action. So let's look at verse 2. John says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So what we see here is that love of truth rejoices over truth being walked in. The greeting that, God, that John gives here says, I pray that all may go well with you and may, uh, that you may prosper in your health as it goes well with your soul. This is uh, a common greeting in this culture. However, for us, when we read this, this is said in a very uh, uncommon way. Uh, we don't typically talk this way uh, to our brothers and sisters. We usually find ourselves uh, praying for our brothers and sisters uh, in ways that uh, would sound like we're trying to ask God to strengthen their souls. So something like, brother, I, you know, I'm sorry that you lost your job. And I am absolutely going to ask God to give you strength, to strengthen your soul, to sustain you through that. Or, I'm sorry that you got bad news from the gospel. I'm going to pray that God strengthen you, that he sustain your soul, that he pour out strength in your soul so that he might sustain you through that. But here, in verse 2, we see that John actually says the exact opposite of that. John says, uh, basically, guys, your soul is incredibly healthy. Your soul is prospering. You have a wonderfully healthy spiritual life. And I pray that everything else in your life goes well, as well as your soul does. Even your health. So it's safe to assume here that Gaius is doing very well spiritually. Gaius seems to have a soul that's prospering, and John wants to acknowledge that. Now, I also want to do something else this morning. 
which is acknowledge a common teaching in our culture. Uh, if I stood up here today and my message to you said something like, I'm thankful for everybody here and the God that I worship is going to make your health and your wealth abound as you grow in faith. I'm sure, like me, that more than half of y'all would nearly pass out from shock. And that's right. That's a good thing. I understand why. This verse, in verse 2 here, has been abused and wrongly interpreted by many to mean that God gives health. He gives prosperity. He increases wealth as people grow and exercise in their faith. And this type of teaching has created an entire generation of false converts who hear the, uh, the good that God can do for them if they would just believe. It's a false convert who believes that. This type of teaching convinces people to come to God simply for the payoff. It has nothing to do with their sin, God's hatred of their sin, or the Savior that took God's wrath for sinners so that they might be brought to God. The type of teaching that teaches that God desires for your health and your wealth so as you increase in your faith uh, denies the gospel. It teaches a false Christ and is therefore rightly called heresy. And all who follow this teaching... Who have or who are following it since. They will be lost. Is a false teaching. And to say this plainly. This verse here in, in verse 2. Does not teach that soul prosperity. Leads to material prosperity. But I want to prove that to you with at least two points. We see one the definition. So the definition here in verse 2. When he says I hope all may go well. That all may go well is one word in the Greek. That word is euodao. And it means. Uh, it does not readily mean gain material possessions. It is only used three times in the scripture. So forming uh, hardcore doctrine off of a seldomly used word is something I would caution everybody to do. <laughs> and then also the context of 3 John. The phrase that's used here uh, is meant to be an indicator for how well Gaius' soul is doing. Not that John thinks that, he, that God should shower him with health and wealth because of his faith. John, when he says, I pray that all may go well with you. And that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John has something much, much higher in mind than material wealth and possessions. And we're going to see that as we go on. So, again, that was, that was the pause button there. Let's, let's bring it back. The love of truth rejoices over truth being walked in. And let's look at verse 3 and 4. And when we read verse 3 and 4, I'm trying to answer a question here. And that question is, what is it? That John sees in Gaius or has heard about Gaius that would lead him to conclude that his soul is prospering. His soul is doing very well. So let's read verse 3 and 4. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So here we see some Christians here called the brothers, they testified to the church that John was a part of. And they testified of Gaius' life. They testified that he was a faithful brother. <clears throat> that he's a faithful brother walking in truth. And John, in joy, uh, writes a letter back to Gaius and says, Brother, you're faithfully walking in the truth. I rejoice greatly over these things. I don't want you to miss this. John's response here is, I rejoice greatly. I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So what John experiences here when he hears of Gaius walking in truth, it's a joy that is surpassed by nothing. His greatest joy comes from hearing about God's grace being poured out in someone else's life. 
And again, this is essentially the, the, the summary of verse 1 through 4. Verse 1 through 4, we see a quick glimpse of Gaius, who is a brother, who in love of truth is walking in the truth. But we really see John. John, who in love of truth is nearly bursting at the seams in affectionate, warm love because Gaius is walking in the truth. God's grace is being poured out in someone else's life. So, the next question we want to ask then, we know a little bit about Gaius, a little bit more about John, but what's the particular thing? John's not just writing uh, only because he's walking in the truth. The particular thing is what we want to get at because walking in truth can be uh, a bit of a broad term. So, let's read verse 5. He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are. We're going to go ahead and read through eight. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be a fellow worker for the truth. So the particular thing that we see to summarize. Uh, what John is writing this letter to for Gaius and what is causing him to well up in affectionate, warm love and joy over Gaius is that Gaius is making intentional effort to support the work of evangelistic missionaries. The brothers that we see in verse 3 are the same brothers that we see in verse 5 through 8. These brothers came back apparently to where John was and they testified to the church about Gaius. And the high points, if we could summarize, if we could guess at what the high points were, from what we see here in 3 John is that one, guys is a faithful brother. He's walking in truth. This brother loves in truth. We came into town and guys took us in. He showed hospitality to us. He took us in. We enjoyed each other's company for a while. When it was time for us to leave, he sent us out with everything we needed for our journey. That'd be a reasonable summary of what the brothers who came and testified to John's church. It'd be a reasonable summary of what they said. And so this is what John hears. John hears this, and it causes him to well up with joy and love for Gaius. And John also, as we see in verse 5, John calls this effort that is expended towards these, uh, towards these brothers, he calls this effort a faithful thing. It's a faithful thing that's being done for these brothers who are basically strangers to Gaius. And this term faithful thing here seems to link together the truth that Gaius walks in and the love that Gaius is walking in. And, and what I mean is this, Gaius' actions accord with the gospel. And that's what John is so joyful over. That's what he's greatly rejoicing over. The thing or the work is the outcome of Gaius' faith. That's why it's called a faithful work. The love that Gaius worked towards these traveling missionaries was true uh, to the truth that Gaius held. The love that he worked towards these missionaries was, was true to the faith that he professed. And another way to say it that's familiar to Grace Community Church is, Gaius walking in truth has been affected vertically by the truth. And that vertical uh, truth affected the way that he, uh, it, it bent itself outward in a horizontal love for brothers and sisters. Even though they were strangers to it. So, the question is, who are these brothers? The term missionary is actually not used in this passage. So, who are the brothers? What are they doing? Why are they at Gaius' church? Why are they at Gaius' house? Why are they at John's church? And we have to do a little bit of a... Of a, of a history lesson, a cultural study to answer that question. At the, the time that John is writing this letter, 
There were a large amount of traveling teachers of all kinds present, and this was mostly because there was no uh, there was no education system like the one that we know. There was no uh, university system set up uh, like the ones that we know. So uh, there were teachers and lecturers who would travel around from city to city, and they set up shop in the marketplaces, uh, marketplaces, or they they'd rent these halls out and set up shop in these halls, and they would teach. If you remember in the book of Acts, that's something like Paul does. Paul actually goes to the the hall of Tyrannus. And there he teaches for a long time. And that's because this is typical in this culture. These teachers would travel around and set up shop and begin to teach. They would give speeches and they would, give, uh, they would teach people. This was happening all over the area. These teachers typically did this as a means of making a living, which is not uh, too hard for us to think about. If you're good at teaching, you want to get paid for that. Nobody does that for fun. Uh, so they traveled around as a means of meeting an end. They they paid for the way they paid for uh, the things in life by doing this teaching, and many of these itinerant teachers uh, would come and would teach a particular philosophy of the day. And philosophy of the day is not typically what we think about when we think philosophy. This was basically trying to answer the question: How should we live? There are many many different people thought uh, of many different ways of how we should live. That question was answered by many different people. So as you can imagine. There's probably a many, many different types of teachers with many, many different thoughts about how we should live. So there's traveling teachers all over the place, going to everywhere they can set up shop, and somebody would listen to them and maybe even pay them for what they're doing. If they didn't pay them, they'd go on and see if somebody else would pay them in another city. So there's this traveling teacher mindset that's happening in uh, the time of the early church. And also, so we've got teachers traveling around in one section, but what we want to think about is what was going on in the early church at this time. And at, the early, at this time, the early church was expanding rapidly, growing very quickly. If you consider the book of Acts, consider how Paul completed his first, second, and third missionary journey in about 35 or 40 years. Okay? So get that picture. Three missionary journeys, 35 or 40 years, and then ask this question, how many churches did Paul plant? A lot, right? Well, but what about Peter? Or, or John? Or all the other apostles? Or what about faithful brothers like Timothy and Titus and uh, Silas and uh, Barnabas? How many, did they, how many churches did they plant? Several. Many. How many did some of the faithful brothers who they affected, how many churches did they plant? They probably planted many. So what we see here is that in the early church, things are growing rapidly. Churches are, are popping up everywhere. And people are, are coming to know the Lord, which is wonderful. So what do you do if you don't have what we would call a well-trained pastor in these churches, but you have thousands of people who need to hear the truth and be taught God's word? What do you do? Well, you send people to teach them. You send missionaries out or you write them letters, which is why we have most of the New Testament. You do exactly what the early church did. And that's who these brothers are here that are mentioned in verse 3 and then also they were traveling missionaries who were sent out to spread the truth. Now, John doesn't just tell us who these missionaries are, but he also told us uh, how they should, how guys should think about treating these, these missionaries. So look at the phrase in verse 6. He says, you will do well to send them out in a manner worthy of God. When you think about that statement, it begs an obvious question. How would you send out God? It's a really big statement. Big question. But these brothers, they are servants of God. And they represent God. 
and therefore they should be treating, treated accordingly. Now, in verse 6, John says that you will do well to send them on their journey. This phrase here, send them on their journey, is, is one word in the Greek. And that word is uh, propempo. And I'm going to describe what this word is because this is very instructive for us as a church. This word propempo implies that financial responsibility and hospitality of departing missionaries was to be taken up by the church. And I want to prove that to you. Romans 15, 24. Don't flip there. Just, just write that down and go back and look at it later. Romans 15, 24. Paul says, well, by the way, is anybody in here, show of hands, has anybody in here ever heard or the, the book of Romans referred to as a, uh, a giant letter of missionary support? Anybody ever heard that? It's a missionary support letter. Anybody ever heard that before? This is, not many people have heard that before. Okay. Romans is a giant letter Paul of Paul trying to gain missionary support. And we make that kind of statement because of what's said in Romans 15, 24. So if you've never heard that, I'm about to help you read the book of Romans. Here's the reason that this, book, that this letter was written. Paul says in Romans 15, 24, he says to the church in Rome, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. So Paul had, had his sights set on another location. His sights set on Spain. He says, I want to see you. It's only in passing. I'm not staying in long. I want to see you as I go to Spain. And then here's that word, propempo. He says, and to be helped on my journey there by you. So you think about that. Paul, going out for the sake of the name. Sight set on Spain. He wants to go where the gospel has not been named. And he says, I want you, Rome, to send me there. Okay? Let's look at or listen to 2 Corinthians 1.16. Paul uses the exact same language here. And again, I want you to remember that the definition here, this word propempo, it implies that financial responsibility and hospitality of departing missionaries is the church's responsibility. That's what I want us to see. Paul says to the Corinthians, he said, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. So Paul, going to Macedonia, I want to see you guys on the way. And he said, and come back to you from Macedonia. So I'm going to go. And then when I come back, I want to see you again. And I want you to send me on my way to Judea. So I want to see you. I'm heading to Macedonia. I want to see you on the way. And then I'm heading to Judea. And I want to see you again on the way. And when I come through, I want you to send me there. You send me out to Judea. So we're going to look at one other place. And I think this next place is extremely helpful for us to really go full circle on this word here. So. Titus 3.13, Paul says, do your best. He's writing to Titus, do your best to, to help, to speed, to send two guys, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. So Paul says, do your best, speed them on their way, send them out, send them to me, send them out right now. And then here's what he said. Here's the, the way that he, he caps this off. He says, send them out and see that they lack nothing. So again, we see this word here, this word being used to uh, Im imply that financial responsibility is not for these, is not on these missionaries themselves. It's on someone else. In Romans and Corinthians, Paul's addressing the church and he's telling the church to send them to these destinations. And in Titus, Paul tells Titus to speed Zenos and Apollos on their way, lacking not one thing. And it's likely that Paul doesn't mean for Titus to give out of only his means. Titus was a missionary. Titus is to go to the church and get resources to send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. 
And this is very helpful for us. This is, this is a very good thing for us to know in Scripture, where responsibility falls. And he also says this. He says uh, that he wants to, in verse, uh, verse 8, this is something that we ought to do, support these brothers. And there's a lot of ways that he tells, there's a lot of motivations he gives uh, for supporting these brothers. He says, one, they've gone out for the sake of the name. He tells them that in verse 7. The motivation that these brothers have for leaving their homes, leaving possibly wives, maybe even children behind, leaving homes, leaving familiarity and comfort. The motivation that they have is for the sake of the name, not themselves. The name here, he doesn't even have to say who it is. The name here he's speaking of is the name of Jesus Christ. They've gone out for his sake, for the fame and the name of Jesus Christ. So that's a motivation that Paul says. Here's why you should support these brothers. They've gone out for the man. Another motivation, it says they're not accepting any aid from the Gentiles. In other words, they're not like all these other traveling teachers who are going around teaching the philosophy of the day. They're not peddling God's word like these teachers are peddling the modern day philosophy. That's not what they're doing. They're actually not even accepting anything so not to dilute or distort the gospel of Christ. They're not accepting anything from the Gentiles. And the third thing is these brothers are working for the truth. And in supporting these brothers, you will be a fellow worker for the truth. What an amazing encouragement. Supporting another brother and you get credited worker for the truth to your account. And John says this is the motivation to do what? To support, to receive, to be hospitable, to send out, to give resources to these brothers. They've gone out for the sake of the name, not accepting anything from the Gentiles. And you'll be a fellow worker for the truth if you do this. It's good motivation. And John also says something here that I think is worthy of addressing in verse 8. He tells guys, we ought to support people like these. Who's we? John is writing a letter to Gaius, but I'm, I'm more than sure that John's not looking at Gaius and says, hey, you and me, bro, like, we should support these missionaries. Thousands of people need to hear the word. I'm on a pastor's salary. I don't really know what Gaius does, but you and I are supporting the missionaries. That's absolutely not what he means. This we here is inclusive of all the church, all those who are brought into the body of Christ. Now, what I want to highlight here is the word ought. John says this is something that we ought or should do. We should support people like these. And what, the reason I want to draw attention to this is because I want to draw attention to it in contrast to other things. The other things I want to draw in contrast to is, or what I want to tell you is that as a believer, there are many things that you can do. Capital word, capital letters can, C-A-N. You can do many things to love or show hospitality or generosity to. And even as a church, there are many things that we can do. We're invited to do as followers of Christ. We can uh, send our resources and support and show generosity in some kind of way to sex trafficking. That's a good thing. Or maybe even uh, abortion. That's a good thing. This is something that we can do. Racial reconciliation. This is a good thing. We, we can do that. We can support these kind of efforts to to, to cross racial bounds and, and reconcile things. We can also go after clothing the poor and feeding the hungry. There's almost an endless list of, of issues that we as individuals and as a corporate body can go after together. And we can do that. But the support for uh, the truth going forward, this is described here by John as something that we ought to do. 
There's a long list of pans and a short list of oughts. So what should you be doing? What should be the aim of your financial support? It ought to be going towards the truth going out. So, summary of the text. That we see two examples. John and Gaius. John walking in the truth and in love with the truth. Rejoices over God's grace being poured out in somebody else's life. And we see Gaius walking in truth and in love with the truth. Pouring out his resources so that the truth might go forward. Heavy dose of truth. Heavy dose of walking in love in this. Uh, and we also see how Gaius is, uh, how we're supposed to send people out. This is a responsibility that is not to be laid on the Gentiles or the pagans because they're not going to do it. This is something that the church ought to do that we ought to do. And just to summarize there, this is what God desires for us to know this morning. So let's move on to the, the next header on your, your study guide. What are some things or what does God want us to embrace in faith as a church in this letter? And I have three things listed here. Walking in truth produces gospel fruit. Two is that your resources are God's resources. And three, God's people is the means God uses to send truth into the world. Now, I want to reason through these a little bit. Let's look at number one. Walking in truth produces gospel fruit. So again, today we saw not one, but two Examples of truth and love being exercised and the fruit that it produces. And this is very helpful for us. I need this kind of instruction. And so I want to hold up John, I want to hold up guys and look at some of the fruit that we see produced here. There's more here than I'm going to mention. Uh, I'm only going to mention three things that I see. Uh, but what I want to do is hold it up and look at it and see what we can learn from it. So let's look at John. John, that brother loved guys. Man, did he love guys. This love came, according to verse 1, from the truth. This love came from the gospel. We've already talked about this. This, this truth is, is truth in the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's in, in, within the matrix of the gospel, in the same mold as the gospel. And John is pouring out love for this brother. Why? Because this brother's in the gospel. He's in Christ. His soul's been saved. They have new covenant love here. This love for the body of Christ is a grace. It's a grace that God always gives in the gospel. And to be more clear, the gospel always, always, always produces love for your brothers and sisters. Did you know that God cares about how well and how poorly you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Did you know that? And last week, Hunter said something that when I amen, he said that if your life is not marked by love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, then it seriously brings into question whether or not you know the truth. Now, what would it take for a statement like that to be made? How can we say that with such certainty? And the certainty comes from we know the gospel always, always produces this fruit uh, to those who hear the gospel and embrace it. It always produces the fruit of love. But then we also see Gaius. We see the love of Gaius. And by the way, this is a, a, a totally separate person from John, which doesn't need to be said. You know that. But it's a totally separate person from John. And yet walking in truth produces the exact same fruit. Isn't that amazing? Love for brothers because of love for the truth. Gaius vertically is affected by God and the love of the gospel. And he bends that out in brothers that he doesn't even know. But he knows they're going out for the truth. And therefore, he loves them. He wants to see the truth sent out. 
The second thing I want to look at, the second fruit we see when we hold this up to the light, when we hold John and God's light is joy. Look at the words again in verse 3 and 4. They're incredibly vivid. John says, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. I have no greater joy. There's nothing in the world that gives me greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And we asked this question before. Uh, what gives you the greatest joy? Did you know that walking in joy, oh, I'm sorry, walking in truth produces joy? And did you know that God cares about what you find uh, your joy in? Your greatest joy. God cares about that. So, what does give you the greatest joy? Is it uh, how you look? Your, your physical appearance? The way you dress? Knowing that other people think you look good? Does that bring you the greatest joy? Is it knowing that those around you think well of you? You have a certain uh, reputation. You're a, you're a good guy. You're a nice guy. You're a nice girl. Is that bringing you your greatest joy? Is it your promotion that you've been working incredibly hard for? You got it. That give you your greatest joy. How about your academic achievements? Some really smart people in here. It can be proved with lots of degrees. Does that bring you your greatest joy? How about those little red notifications that pop up on Facebook when you post a picture or you find a cool quote and you put it out there and you get 30 of those things. Does that bring you your greatest joy? And this question is not about whether or not you enjoy those things, but do they give you your greatest joy? And this is an important question because whatever gives you the greatest joy is a reflection of what you value. And then what you value is going to be a reflection of how you view the world. So this is a very important question for us. What brings you the greatest joy? And another question that we should ask is what gave John, John the greatest joy? What gave John the greatest joy is hearing that Gaius was walking in truth. Or another way to say it is that John's greatest joy came from God's grace being poured out in someone else's life. That's an amazing thing. And what about Gaius? We don't have as, uh, as many... Guys, the recipient letter, so he doesn't really have anything to say back. So we don't have a whole lot of, of insight into guys' emotions. If he was joyful or not when he received this, I'm assuming he is. Uh, so was joy produced in guys? I'm going to say yes, absolutely. Joy is producing guys. We see these missionaries testifying to guys' love that he showed them when, uh, when he took them in. Now, if I stood up here, uh, or, or if you came and you talked to me and said, Nick, man, I was really thankful uh, to you know, the, what you said about God's word this morning. And uh, I want to come to you and ask you, like, will you send me to the nations? And I like, oh, grudgingly go to ATM or like, screw up, check for your name. I'm tall on this, so obviously I have to walk in it well. Or if I, if I uh, uh, was, was uh, cold with you and, and, and short with you about you trying to ask me for money to go to the nations, you would not turn around in that moment and go and testify about my love before the church. No way. Why not? Because I'm like joyful. So we see that these brothers, because they're testifying to the entire church about Gaius' love, what's all wrapped up in that? Certainly guys did these things not begrudgingly, but joyfully. Like this is a joyful thing that guys is doing. 
So that's the second thing. The third thing, the third fruit that we see, and again, that's what we're looking for. What what is walking in truth? What is loving in truth? This produces something. The third thing that it produces is a desire to see truth abound. John is not bashful about his desire to see truth abound in any way. We know this because we've read his letters. But then we also know this here uh, because John comes right out and says to guys, guys, you're doing a faithful thing. Continue in it. Continue. Give your efforts. Give your resources. Open up your home. Give your money. Open up your wallet. Continue to do that. Why would John say such a thing? Why would he want to continue to push that guys might keep giving all of his stuff for the sake of the name? And it's, it's just because of that. Because they're going out for the sake of the name. That means that the truth of God can spread through their, their mouths. John knows they're going out to spread truth. And therefore, the truth of God is going to abound through their mouths. And that's what John desires. We know this because Gaius pours out love and resources for the sake of the truth. <clears throat> and then Gaius, we see his desire for the truth abound. This fruit was produced in Gaius as well. Gaius walked in truth, meaning he held fast to the gospel. And this truth produced love for the body of Christ and a desire to see truth abound. And we know this because he just pours it out. Gives it all away. So, there's the three things. What does God desire for me to embrace in this faith? By faith in this passage, one is that walking in the truth produces gospel fruit. And two, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Your resources are God's resources. The way that we embrace this in faith, that my resources and your resources are God's resources, is that we have to believe truths like John 3.27. John 3.27 says, A person can receive not even one thing unless it is given from heaven. Did you hear that? A man can't receive one thing. That means that every thing in your life, house, vehicles, Children, husband, wife, job, income, everything was given to you from heaven. Everything you have is yours because God has been so gracious to you to give it to you. Your resources are God's resources. Now, with that in mind, I want us to think about this phrase where John says... Send them out in a manner worthy of God. We asked the question already, how would you send out God? That's a heavy question. Knowing what you know now about who Jesus Christ is and what his mission is. Let's say that hypothetically you were on the earth. Knowing what you know now about Jesus. You were on the earth at the time of Christ. And he came up to you. Let's say that. And he said, Hunter, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I tell you what your response would not have been in that moment. You would not have said, I don't carry the cash on this. Or you would not have said, ah, I, I need to run and go get something and never show up again. Your heart would not have closed up the Christ. Why? Because you know his mission. You know what he's here for. You know what he's come to do. And I guarantee you, you, like me, and everybody else in this room, most everybody else in this room, would have lovingly 
and joyfully gave whatever your all looks like for the sake of him going on his mission. That is the manner that John spells out for us and says, send them out in a manner worthy of God. I absolutely have most of the same bills that everyone in here has. Absolutely. John and Gaius absolutely deal with the same financial struggles that we all deal with. Absolutely true. Not discounting any of that. However, the command still hovers over our life. Your resources are God's resources. Send out these brothers who are laboring for the truth in the manner worthy of God. It's still there. Do you believe that everything you have now and everything you will have in the future is from God? Do you believe that? The reason that I ask this question is because I think from 3 John and the other, uh, other uh, letters that John wrote, I think that that is exactly what John thinks about your resources. That everything you have now and will have in the future will come from God. I think that's exactly what John thinks. And like we said earlier, John knows that, that everything you have is coming from God. And therefore, that's why he says, guys, give your time. Make effort. Give your resources. Give your money. Send them out like you would send out God. So again, how do we embrace this in faith? John 3, 27 is extremely helpful for me. Everything you have is from God. You haven't received one thing in your own strength. This is believer, unbeliever alike. Everything you have has come from God. And the last one here. God's people is the means that God uses to send truth into the world. Or to say it another way, God intends to send out his gospel into the world by the church. Using the resources that God has given her to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Therefore we ought to support people like these, so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. When John tells guys to support these missionaries, the motive that he gives, the reason that he gives, is so that we might be fellow workers for the truth. That word, that phrase, fellow workers, is a, it's, it's two words in the Greek. It's made up from uh, a word that means uh, literally together and work. Work together, fellow workers. That, that word, uh, the etymology of that word is where we get the word today of synergy. When, when we're working in a synergy, synergistic kind of way, the gospel, I'm not going to go there. Synergy. This is joint participation in the goal of spreading truth so that others may know the truth. You work together for the truth with those who are going out. And we're going to make this, I want to make this extremely clear. We have a really good strength here at GCC. And I'm very thankful for this. We, by God, have, have exalted in our hearts and our minds the mission of God. The mission that God has to make his gospel known to the ends of the earth. This is a strength here. Many people have joined our church because this is a strength here. And I'm thankful for it. And if I randomly picked 100 people in here and I said, let's do this. Let's open up scriptures right now. And I want you to tell me about God's mission, God's heart for the nations, how the gospel spreads, how I should feel about persecution for the gospel, and how to get truth into unreached places. If I ask you to show me from scripture those things, I fully believe that most everybody here would be able to take scripture and
and say, here's a few places you should look. Praise the Lord for that. I pray for more. I want to see that more and more. But I also believe that not many people in here, if I also asked it to show me those five things, I don't think many people would point to 3 John verse 8 and say, here, this is how God sends his truth out. It's through my giving. It's through supporting of missionaries. I don't think anybody would do that. I don't think many people would do that. And the question I have for us to ask is why? Why is that true? Is it because we see the role of missionaries going into the nations as superior to the role of sending missionaries to the nations? Is that what we think? If so, then let your mind be changed by this letter. I was very helped by a brother who was encouraging me in this, uh, about this letter. This letter is not written uh, to someone who is going to the nations. This letter is written to someone who is sending brothers to the nations. Isn't that amazing? Now, the last thing I want to think about. What does God want us to do in light of this letter? I've never done this good on time, just so you all know. What does God desire us to do in light of this letter? I have four things. I'm going to run through these. I've got four things. The first thing I want us to think about, love your brothers and sisters in the truth. Don't let this be something that you hear so commonly that it rolls off the tongue and you don't even, it doesn't really land on you. Love your brothers and sisters. I was struck by this in my study of 3 John. This pierced my heart. And I want to tell you something. If this pierced your heart this morning because you realize that you are not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ as you should, meaning like John loves his brother and his sisters. If you're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, then I want to tell you four things you can do. You can confess this to God. God knows this all too well. God knows this. Confess this to God. This is a sin. The gospel, the love of the gospel always produces love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like we said, that is, a, that is a fruit that is rooted in the gospel is love for the body of Christ. Confess this to God. Repent of this sin. Ask God to, for the grace to help you turn from whatever it is that's causing you to walk in this. And then be encouraged. God did not spare his own son. He gave him up for you all. How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Like love for your brothers and sisters. Believe truth. Know that God can and will produce this love in you. And then act. Walk in confidence that God will make good on every single promise he has ever made to his people. So that's number one. Love your brothers and sisters in truth. Number two. Fight for joy. Fight for joy. Let this be a struggle in your life to be joyful in the gospel. Fight for this. There is a distinct difference in the quality of life of someone who only loves God because God saved them from hell. There's a distinct difference between that person and someone who loves God because they get God in the gospel. There is a distinct difference in the quality of life of those people. Pray for God to increase this joy. Number three. Pray for God to do this work of increasing your desire to see truth spread in the world. Acts 4, 23-31. You see the, the early church being persecuted for the gospel. Preaching the gospel. They're getting beat up for it. They're getting thrown in jail for it. This is persecution. 
And what you see is that uh, when some of these brothers get out of jail, the church gathers together and they begin to pray for boldness. Boldness to do what? Boldness to continue preaching the gospel. And you think about that. Why would anybody pray for boldness? You just got beat up for it. Why would you pray for boldness to continue speaking the gospel? And it's because this is a fruit. This is uh, a fruit of loving the truth. This is a uh, desire that God gives for truth to be made known. So the only reason someone would pray for boldness uh, in the face of persecution is because God has given them a desire to see truth go forth. And God desires for you this morning. God desires for us this morning to desire the truth go forth. With giving, with preaching, desire this. <clears throat> Number four, support the mission of God by giving. And I just want to remind us, this is uh, under what we what we should do from what we see in Third John. Trust God with your resources, and what I mean specifically here is your money. Trust God with your money. Memorize John three twenty seven. Ask yourself, what do I have that I have not received from God? Give your resources for the sake of the Lamb. I want to highlight again that John comes right out and says, Guys, you're doing a faithful thing. Your efforts for these brothers is faithful. Keep giving your resources. Keep giving your money. Keep giving it for those who have gone out for the sake of the name. John presses into this with guys even though he's already doing it. Give your resources for the sake of the Lamb. Now, in verse 2 we mentioned earlier that this is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel. Uh, it in no way even hints at that. And yet, I don't want to slice that verse 2 to pieces. When John says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. I don't want to slice that to pieces. I think that there is a part of John that legitimately does desire for a man like Gaius who loves truth, desires to see the truth of God go forth into all the world. I do think that John would like a man like that to have more and more resources, but not for the sake of material possession, not just for the sake of having more and more resources, but because resources in the hands of a man like Gaius ends in truth going out into the world. Don't throw your pins at me this morning. I'm not teaching health and wealth, uh, prosperity gospel, but I do think that John desires, when he says all may go well with you, I think that could mean in his work, in his business, Whatever he has to support himself on, uh, his house, if that brother had a bigger house, he'd be supporting more missionaries. I think that John desires to see the truth go forth so much that he'd be willing to say something like, man, I want you to make a lot more money because I know the truth is going to go forward. And the last thing here under support the mission of God by giving is give like someone who's working for the truth. Doesn't it encourage you? That you can be a fellow worker for the truth. Think about this. I want you to answer the question. How is this possible? How is it possible for you, a middle class Mississippian, average American, working every day, raising kids, paying normal bills, cutting normal grass, hanging out with your husband, hanging out with your wife. How is it possible for God to look down on you and all of your mundane Plainness, and then say, you know what? He was working for the truth. Ben is working for the truth. How is that possible? The only way this is possible is by 
us taking our resources, our God-given resources, and sending out missionaries in a manner that's worthy of God. Giving your money to be as plain as possible for the sake of the name, for the sake of the truth going forth. We are in synergy with those who are going to the nations when we give to support those to go to the nations bearing the name of the cross. Praise the Lord for that. So, trust the Lord in these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that in your mercy and in your sovereignty, Lord, you have allowed us to see a very personal letter this morning. And Lord, you have addressed your church in a personal way. God, I thank you that that through your word, Lord, we can see fruit that the gospel produces. God, that through your word this morning, we see a result of walking in truth. God, that you do give fruit. We thank you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church, that you would help us to uh, to fight for joy, that you would help us as a church to love one another well, God, that you would grant us desires to see the truth go forth. And God, that we might see uh, that your resources have been given to us. Everything we have came from you. God, give us open hands. God, don't let us, don't let us hold on to the things of this world in greed. God, free us from these things. Highlight truth going to the nations as one of the greatest things we can use our resources for, Lord. And I'm thankful that you hear these prayers. I'm thankful that you do this work. And we pray this to you in Christ's name. Amen.